we face a climate emergency and the focus is on reducing the amount of carbon we are releasing into our atmosphere, we're being told to plant more trees. But did you know that there is a rare and valuable resource that, despite being so scarce, actually sequesters twice as much carbon than all the trees in the world? And we're exploiting it for use in our gardens. I'm Richard Chivers. And I'm Becky Searle. And this is The Seed Pod. This podcast was made in association with Dalefoot Composts. Using bracken and sheep's wool from the Lakeland Fells, Dalefoot Composts create the UK's premium growing mediums that are peat-free and organic for gardeners everywhere. Becky, we, we've spoken about how, as organic gardeners, we strive to ensure that we follow a number of principles in our allotments and gardens, you know, feeding our soil, encouraging biodiversity, and ensuring we do everything in a sustainable manner. Yeah, and of course we do that. So we don't use pesticides or chemicals. We like to grow a variety of crops and flowers, and we focus on using only composts in our garden beds, as we've mentioned before. And um, we're all diligent about this in our efforts to become sustainable organic gardeners but there's a significant problem yeah because what if as we focus on creating our own healthy abundant paradise within our allotments and gardens we're partaking in the complete destruction of another healthy abundant paradise but that's what we as gardeners and the horticultural industry have been doing for many years. How? Our reliance on peat. We spoke to our friend Sally Morgan, who is a garden writer and organic farmer from Empire Farm in Somerset, about the campaign to stop the use of peat. 2019, I was writing a blog and there was a programme on television about peat still being used in garden centres and I connected with some of my garden writers and we felt that we could be doing something more about the peat use as garden writers were in a very enviable position to be communicating with gardeners and um, we you know, our work appears in all sorts of uh, outlets from newspapers blogs and magazines and so we got together and decided we'd run a campaign and then we decided we'd run it for a month and really communicate to people why they shouldn't be using peat. And so, Peat Free April was born. So it's not just me. There's um, Last year was about a group of five of us. And we had a sort of reasonably good start to the campaign. And this year, I'm delighted to say I'm, I'm assisted by about 10 volunteers from all walks of life, from uh, Extinction Rebellion and composters through to campaigning organisations. So many of us as gardeners will be aware that if you look at the back of compost bags in garden centres and DIY shops, most of the multi-purpose composts are in fact mostly peat. And we recognise peat as the dark brown or black substance that bulks out our composts um, that we use to sow our seeds, pot on our plants and fill up our raised beds on our allotments and in our gardens. 
But what exactly is peat? Well, it's just moss. Uh, when you look at it, pull it to pieces, you're seeing something that's been um, buried in the ground for a long time. But you look at moss on your growing on your walls and stuff at home. Uh, sphagnum moss is just a new type, a different type of moss. It's really good at absorbency. It grows in uh, wet places. And what you find in a peat bog is you've got lots of water, lots of peat, and it gets dies and it gets buried under sediment and then more peat grows on top of it so what uh, more moss grows on top of it and so you end up with these layers of increasingly dark stuff and if you left it there for millions and millions of years you'd end up with coal so peat is the first stage in the process of fossilization and making coal and of course it's a great convenient material it's high in carbon great for burning so it's been used for power stations and the like and it's great for gardeners so peat is a substance that takes an incredibly long time to form it's not something that will grow back in a year or two no that's right because it's a non-vascular plant and what this basically means is that it hasn't evolved a vascular system, which means that it has no method of transporting water and nutrients from the roots up to the top of the plant and and vice versa. It can't transport carbon down from the top of the plant to the roots. So the result is that it has to be really, really low growing. Also, moss requires water to grow. It, it really has to have water on, on its surface to grow. So Moss is a very, very slow growing plant and it also grows really, really low to the ground. It doesn't go up like trees. Trees have a vascular system. And so moss simply can't do this because it is non-vascular. So what this all amounts to is that peat is in no way a renewable resource. Oh, totally. Um, you know, when, when we look at it from a scientific point of view, it's growing at the rate of one millimetre a year. So those layers of sphagnum moss take so long to develop. We are looking at the fossil history here, not quick turnarounds. So I, I just get so frustrated when people say, oh, it's growing all the time. There's new stuff. There isn't. You take the top layer of peat off. That's it. And one of the key things about peat bogs is that it takes a specific set of circumstances to create peat. They're really niche habitats. They require certain things in order to be formed. So that means that they are quite different from other habitats. Um, so they contain a unique set of plants, insects and, and other species which can't exist anywhere else. Oh, totally. I mean, I get very excited going around a peat bog. Um, sort of on a, on the scale of 100 it's probably about 100 for me they are my most favorite habitat and and the sundews um and the butterworts and things you know the carnivorous plants we get on them are so exciting to look at and they're so tiny you don't realize this and for me living in surrey for many years on a lowland peatland area um a completely different species uh, assembly there with raft spiders and and snakes and dragonflies and then you compare that to an upland um, bog which is completely different characteristics with cotton grass and the like it's all of them are unique to those particular have um, environmental conditions and, and so critical to um, all sorts of other things not just the, the biodiversity 
So we've talked about the importance of biodiversity right back in the first episode of this podcast and how we want to create biodiversity in our gardens and allotments, not just because it's a key component to organic gardening, but because biodiversity is an essential natural system and therefore crucial to the health of the planet. Yeah, that's right. All the organisms within a single habitat work together to keep that habitat in balance. And all the habitats across the whole world work together to maintain the global ecology. So, for example, a forest can help to manage regional temperature fluctuations, which might help to maintain a temperate wetland, for example, which might filter water and control water flow into a river, which then supports its own array of wildlife, which then feeds into the sea and etc, etc. You can see how all of these things are linked. And it's really important that we understand that biodiversity is not just something that exists in certain areas and it is not an isolated thing. It works as a global system and it is really important that for that system to stay in balance, that it stays diverse and it stays dynamic and able to control itself. It's incredible. It really is. And this unique biodiversity is a key component to peat bogs and like you said the wider ecological systems but and this is the this is the interesting bit peat bogs don't just offer us fascinating wildlife they also provide us with a range of other services and some of the things that peat bogs do is probably going to surprise you um, up in the upland areas where you've got these huge expanses of peat-based habitats um, if you're living in a Yorkshire village at the bottom of a valley and the peatlands above you have been drained and the peat may have been burnt off with moorland management, then the water's going to pile off those sides of those hills and flood your valley. So what we're seeing now is the peatlands are drying out, the water runs off and there is more flooding than we've ever had before in those areas. So for people who live in peatland areas in the uplands of Lancashire and Yorkshire, uh, it has a big impact on their lives. For water companies too, there's a huge economic cost of removing all the organic matter from the drinking water. And 70% of our drinking water comes from these upland areas where we've got peat bogs and they are natural filters that take out all the impurities. And normally water coming off a peat bog should be lovely and clear, but it's not. It's full of organic matter, the peat. And so millions of pounds are spent removing that. So when we're going into peat bogs and taking peat away for our own use in our gardens and allotments, we're robbing ourselves of that natural resource that's providing 70% of us in the UK with clean drinking water. That's this bonkers. Bo- it is. This is bonkers. So, so what that means is that instead of peat bogs cleaning the water for us for free, water companies are having to spend millions of pounds of our money to filter the water artificially. And the taxes go up again. (laughs) And then obviously, of course, we have carbon sequestration, that locking up of the carbon in the dead peat layers and the formation of uh, the coal. And, And one of the most surprising things that peat bogs do is the sheer amount of carbon that they can actually hold. In fact, peat bogs cover only about... 0.4% of the planet, but they hold twice as much carbon as 
all the world's trees put together. And that's not even mentioning all the other nasty greenhouse gases that peat bogs hold. Wow. I mean, think about that for a minute, because we're facing a climate crisis because of the amount of carbon that we have released into the atmosphere. But when we're digging up these peat bogs, we are releasing that carbon and removing its ability to sequester more carbon. That's It's just crazy, isn't it? it? It just doesn't make any sense when you look at it like that. And unfortunately, it, it doesn't matter how many trees we plant in our gardens. We can't hope to offset the damage that we're causing by digging up this peat. So knowing all of these things, why is the gardening industry using so much peat? Well, basically, um, peat is a really easy resource to get at. You just take a digger along and you can just dig it out of the ground. Job done. Take it back to the plant, mix it with a bit of uh, loam, a sand or whatever, and make it into a really cheap potting compost cheap in so much as it doesn't cost the manufacturer much very expensive in terms of environmental damage but you know over the last 50 years that has been really easy to do and and so it, it there is now a problem that you've got this very cheap commodity with huge environmental value being used in horticulture and therefore it's really difficult to replace because it is so cheap and you know, to replace that with all the other alternatives, which you know we'll come to, is causes the problem. Peat is a medium that comes out of the ground. It, it's really quite clean in the, in terms of um, what it contains. It's a pretty pure source of carbon. It doesn't have bacteria and lots of life in it. It's water absorbent. Uh, it's lightweight. It's easy to use. So it ticks lots of boxes, and and it's quite difficult to compete with that when you're trying to make an alternative product. So you can see why it's so appealing as a commercial product to manufacturers in the horticulture industry. But just how much peat are we actually using? Um, so figures that I've come up with, DEFRA and, and some of the official um, sources, say that at the moment they reckon it's about 2.1 million cubic metres. Everything's in volumes. So 2.1 million cubic metres. Um, about 50% of that to 60%, depends on which you rely on, goes into gardens and the rest is used by commercial side of horticulture, which will be all your potting seed, herbs and things that you buy. And and the thing that really also interests me, and I'm going to upset lots of people here, I know. <laughs> go for it, go for it. <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> mushroom composting uh, growing button mushrooms uses vast amounts of peat it's um it's very depressing on button mushrooms peat is used in it um and then if you buy spent mushroom compost thinking you're not buying peat based compost you are buying something with about 15 percent peat in it so there is the problem that um that is 
the sort of the big volume. And of that, I mean, I, I was looked up a few figures again this afternoon. The UK is the world's sixth largest importer of peat. Um, that's worth £40 million a year. And we get it from Ireland, Holland, Germany and Estonia. And, and basically, um, a lot of the peat that we are using in our own gardens, because we don't dig up as much as we used to in the past in our own country, we're busy digging up everybody else's peatlands. So when we go to peat free, we're not just conserving our own peatlands, we're conserving peatlands in other parts of the world. So knowing how important peat is and how much we are using in our gardens and in the horticulture industry and in the food industry, and just how destructive it is, we really need to understand what we can do to change this. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is that we haven't always used peat. Before about the 1960s, we, we used to grow our plants, our own plants by making our own compost and using manures. So making our own compost is, is one important thing, I suppose, we can be doing. But what else can we do? I mean, I think the first thing to say is that basically just don't buy it. Um, if you're a gardener, um, whatever type of gardener you are, a keen gardener, a new gardener, there's, you know, three million new gardeners out there who probably don't know about this. They're just going into their garden centres, buying three bags for £12. Um, so our, our message has always been, look on the front of the bag if you can't see peat-free it's not peat-free. You know, peat-free people, you know, compost, really shout about it. You don't have to turn a bottle, you know, you don't have to turn that bag over and peer at this little tiny thing at the back. So look for the labels. So that the first thing that people can do basically um, to help keep peat in the ground is just don't use it. But then there's all these hidden uses, um, as I mentioned, obviously in food. But you know, you go and buy your herbs. Maybe you know there's lovely little pots of herbs in the supermarket. What do you think they're growing in? Um, you have to think about all the things we're buying at this time of year: all our potted plants, containerized plants, all the little um, bedding plants. Anything we buy could be using peat. So we've got to be really on our toes and and ask. And and this is where I think people can have a big influence is keep on asking asking the garden centers send them a letter i mean we've got a letter on our on our website written by garden organic who are supporting us this year or a pro forma letter to write to the garden center demand more well first demand peat free then demand more choice of peat free uh, write to your mp Sign the petition online. We've got a government, one of those government petitions uh, online. We're about 4,000, I think, signed up. We need 10,000 to get the government to make a statement. Um, we did this two years ago. We got the statement in, pol uh, in Parliament and then the general election came along and the petition got abandoned. So we're doing it again. Um, so, yeah, don't buy peat-free. Ask about peat-free plants talk to the garden centre, talk to your MP, talk to your local councillor, because they have lots of gardening services and they may not be peat-free. Lots of them are going peat-free, Cordadale, I think, so, and, and sign the petition. And the truth is that peat isn't a necessary component of our gardens at all. 
But it is a necessary component of peat bogs. It certainly is. And there are plenty of alternatives when it comes to our gardens. Uh, so you and I don't use peat in our gardens. And so we know from first-hand experience that it's just not needed. That's right. And there are some really good producers of peat-free composts. And one of them is Dalefoot. Um, our lovely sponsors and they are proof that peat-free composts can be really high quality excellent excellent mediums yeah highly recommend peat-free composts especially from dalefoot but what are what are the other alternatives that we we can be using in our gardens and our allotments that are sustainable and organic Okay, so we've, we're, we're coming up with lots of ideas because we're getting this question, as you said, and uh, we're trying to find answers for people. And what we don't want people to be stuck in a garden centre going, oh, okay, peat-free sold out because we understand it's selling really quickly this year. I'll just have to buy this. Um, garden centres sell other things that you can make good use of. So if you can't get your peat-free compost, then you might want to look at something called a soil improver. Um, this is... Um, there's a good ones, a couple of good ones out at the moment called Blooming Amazing and uh, Rocket Grow and a few others. I think Natural Gardener. They're based on biodigestate. Uh, sounds disgusting, it but does, actually yeah. it's <laughs> from a biodigester. Um, and they grow. And I have a few issues, but they grow maize and it's taken to the biodigester to produce biogas to heat homes. And the residue that's left in the biodigester is this biodigestate, which has been treated to very high temperatures and all the fibrous material in the maize breaks down and you get this, this sort of pale brown material. It's clean. It's got no bacteria in it and things. It's very lightweight and you can use it on your beds and you can mix it with topsoil and you can buy bags of topsoil. You don't have to buy compost. Um, Topsoil is still available, believe it or not, in garden centres. You can buy topsoil. You can buy this soil improver. And the bags are usually quite cheap compared to um, peat-free. Um, you could empty out the pots you had last year and just reinvigorate them, uh, which might be mix. Yeah. Um, give them a seaweed feed, liquid seaweed feed will do it. So. I think we have to think sustainably about how we garden. Do we need fresh compost every year? You know, bags of the stuff, because it comes in plastic yeah. as well. So do we need to buy fresh compost? Can we tip out the pots we had last year, mix in a bit of improver, give it a good feed uh, and use it again? And we can also be adding spent potting compost back onto our compost heaps to reinvigorate it. And we should always probably, we should actually mention manure. If you can find a good, well-rotted manure from a reliable source, you're onto an absolute winner. Yeah, you totally are. I've got friends who have horses and I know that they are only grass-fed. <laughs> so what comes out the back end is is really good. So um, <laughs> I know that it doesn't contain any of the substances like aminopyrolids for example um aminopyrolid is a broadleaf weed killer that is present in loads of manures because basically the reason that farmers like it is because it goes straight through animals without affecting them at all but that does mean it ends up in the poo and if their manure contains 
broadleaf weed killers, it's an absolute disaster for our garden. But there is an easy way that we can test this, and that is by simply planting some broad beans into the manure that you've managed to source and broad beans will tell you very quickly because they are pretty finicky plants they their leaves will start to curl and they'll start to become a bit deformed after a few weeks and if that happens that manure is not good enough i think it's worth saying and there's probably lots of people listening um who will be very aware of the problems because because the problems with um the, the pesticide in manure recently has been prolific and it's been very well shouted about on Instagram and the like. So yeah, absolutely. Do the broad bean test. Yeah, and that's why we say if you can find a good, reliable source of manure, you really are onto a winner. Those people are your friends. part of a group of people who launched the peat free april campaign and it's still very much in its infancy at the moment but it's gathered a lot of pace and momentum over the last few months and it's done some really really valuable things already 18 months ago we were just sat around a table thinking about it um, and it came to life last year and it was slow to start with but it started to pick up but what we've noticed this year is already we have the support of the RHS, um, Garden Organic, uh, Botanic Garden Wales, um, lots of small environmental groups. And, and today, um, you know, we've got the WI Climate Ambassadors joining us. And and so we've, we've been joined by lots more groups, which means our spread um, has been great. And of course... We were so lucky um, that Professor Dave Goulson launched the campaign for us with a a video that's been shared 12,000 times. If you haven't checked out the video yet and you'd like to, it can be found on peatfree.org.uk and also on the Peatfree April Instagram, Facebook and Twitter pages. Yeah, and and, you know, from that standing start, um, we did need a couple of big names. You just need the names to sort of come on board. So the letter that we put together at the beginning of the campaign, signed by Alan Titchmarsh um, and James Wong and and other well-known figures in in the industry, really grabbed the attention of the newspapers. And then we were lucky that the co-op and um, Monty Don's um, statement about going peat free for the co-op came along at the same time and the Wildlife Trust released uh, a survey. And so everything happened just before Easter. So it's really had a huge kick to get it going. And, And I think now we're working, how do we get at those new gardeners who won't be buying the magazines, who won't be on the blog sites, for keenies we need to tap into the average gardener who goes into the garden center and looks around and just buys the first thing they see and and, and we're not sure how we're getting there yet but that's our target now it's the 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 sort of weekend gardener um, to make sure they too understand that it's not appropriate to buy peat and and it's really important that now everyone who has listened to this conversation now understands a bit more about peat and that we all have to play our part 
we can start having these discussions with people who are less likely to come across this information by themselves. And you can speak with your allotment neighbours, your friends, family, your house neighbours, anyone who's just getting into gardening or growing their own food, and anyone who's less likely to go out and find this information for themselves. Try and offer this understanding to them and try and offer them alternatives as well. For example, oh, I'm using this beautiful peat-free compost. Do you know why peat-free is so important? I'm not saying ram it down their throats quite as much as that but you know we need to start having these conversations with people who might not otherwise give it a second thought yeah absolutely and you know we've all got something to offer in this campaign and 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 if anybody's got any exciting ideas last bit of the month then we'd love to hear from them as well because we've got a few days left of the campaign um, before we get to the end of uh, April and we've got gardening week coming up so um, it will be good to to get more people involved and have one last big push to get the message out there. We really need to play our part in saving this really significant rare and valuable resource and making sure that it stays where it belongs and not in our gardens. It's also vital that we remember that this is not something that should just be given up at the end of April. It's something that should be happening all year round. It's really, really important. If you want to hear anything else about the Peat Free April campaign, like I already said, you can go and visit the website at peatfree.org.uk or you can visit them on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Go and say hello and see how you can get involved and don't forget to sign the petition. Sally, it's been so great to talk to you and thank you so much for giving us your time and coming on to talk to us and we really wish you the best of luck with the rest of the campaign. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sally. Bye. Thank you. Bye. great chat with Sally she's so inspiring isn't she and it's such an important conversation for us to be having as well she really is it was really really good um and the thing is we can be as sustainable as we like in our gardens but if we're still using peat we're still having a huge impact on the environment that's right and I think it's really important that we consider our gardens to be part of the wider environmental system and therefore any inputs that we are having on our gardens mustn't be having a serious detrimental impact on the environment elsewhere. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'd love if you would subscribe. We're going to be back in two weeks time with another great episode. Look forward to seeing you then. Bye. Bye bye.